This is recording number 10990 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 3, 2012. This is the third message in a study of the Bible's book of Hebrews. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Way of Rest. very hectic, very anxious, very troubled, very stress-filled world, do we not? Years ago, I started having this twitch in my, it was my right eye, and the lower eyelid was just going like this, <laughs> duh. It made it, it was very difficult. I like to read, and every time I'd read, my, my, my eye was doing that, and so I went to the doctor and I said, Doctor, you got to do something about this. I got my, my eyes just going like this. And he says, Well, we could put you on Thorazine or something that they use to treat epileptics for their seizures. And I, I said, What? And he says, he says, Well, that's about all we can do for you because you see, it's stress related. I said, You got to be kidding me. I'm a pastor. Well, see, there. There's your problem. That's what he said. He said, in fact, I have a lot of you guys as my clients. Well, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, they say that being a minister or being in the helping professions is a... I don't, I don't think of what I do as being a profession, but you know what I mean. That they say people in the helping professions are, are exposed to a lot of stress. But I have a feeling that uh, whatever profession you're in, you would say, hey, what about mine? Right? Because we all feel that. I was watching this commercial. Sue and I, we still watch the news on, on TV. I know no one else does that that's, uh, you know, uh, under the age of 30. But, and the reason I know that is because when you watch the news, every commercial is for a pharmaceutical. Right? So it's just us, the people, those of us who have entered the, the uh, a drug stage of our lives. You, you'll get there one of these days, so don't, don't mock, okay? <laughs> anyway, so I was watching the news the other night, and they, lately I've been seeing a lot of commercials about, and I don't, I'm not really sure what they're selling, but about shingles. Have you seen that? <laughs> shingles? It's, it's uh, from the uh, chicken pox, um, right? Yeah. Chicken pox uh, virus. virus. If you have chicken pox at some point in your life, it can show up later in life as uh, shingles. And uh, usually it's quite a bit later in life when that happens. I had shingles when I was about 30. And one of the triggers is stress. Listen, if you can avoid shingles, please do at any cost. It's terrible. It's, oh, just the memory of it. Is, I may not be able to preach now. It's, it's in my head. I, I, at least I have a memory. I'm not so sure about that anymore. <laughs> but we live in a world that is full of stress. And uh, I remember when that doctor told me that, I thought, you know, it's a shame for me. I proclaim, I proclaim every single day that I live that I trust in God. 
what in the world am I stressed out about? But I am. I was. And in fact, this morning as we look at the third chapter in the book of Hebrews, we're going to be seeing that the new and living way that Hebrews chapter 10 tells us about, which is where we're deriving our theme for this study, is a way of rest. The way of rest. I don't know that there has been any time recently when I have felt more like I was preaching to myself than I am today. So if it sounds a little bit like a conversation between me and myself, it's because it is. But maybe there'll be something that you can use too out of this. In fact, I shouldn't say maybe. Anytime we open God's word, he's there to speak to us. And I believe he will. Chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews, verse 7, begins this way. Therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, now I want to just stop right there. It really doesn't have to do a whole lot with what we're talking about today. But I just love it that we're about to read a quote as you'll find again and again and again in the book of Hebrews. Quotes from Old Testament scriptures because the writer of the book of Hebrews is using the Old Testament to pave the way for the fulfillment of the old in the new. And uh, as he begins to quote now from Psalm 95, he's quoting a passage of scripture penned by a person, penned by David, greatest king of Israel, David and Goliath, that guy. But this is what it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, I love, just love that. Later on, he'll tell us that David wrote these words, but, I, but when it's introduced to us, the writer of the book of Hebrews wants us to know that what we find in these pages is not just sage advice, not just somebody's, you know, uh, good thoughts. We have the words of the Holy Spirit of God. Today, if you will hear his voice, just let that ring. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. He's referring to the, the people of Israel, the Jews. When they were led out of slavery in Egypt, they were 400 years in Egypt, God delivered them from slavery. And most of you know the story. If you've ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments or The Prince of Egypt, you know what this is about. God led his people out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. But along the way, as they were making their way to the promised land, the place of peace and rest, something went terribly wrong. They spent 40 years out there. Something, a, a journey that should have taken them days ended up taking 40 years because when they came to the threshold, the doorway to this land of rest, this land of promise, they refused to go in because of fear. They sent spies in to check out the land. They came back, 10 of the 12 spies that went in there said, oh, we can't do this. There's fortified cities. There are giants in there. And the people's hearts were hardened. There were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, that came back and said, what? The God who liberated us from slavery in Egypt without a shot being fired, the one who 
fed us every day along the journey with manna that fell from the sky, the one who provided quail by just blowing the wind and bringing the quail to us, the one who sheltered us from the heat of the sun, the one who caused us the soles of our sandals not to wear out, that God is not able to lead us into and, and take care of a few giants in some fortified cities? Who are we kidding? But they didn't listen to the two. They listened to the ten. They were afraid. They ended up wandering around for 40 years so that entire generation died off. And that's what's being described here. Where your fathers tested me, verse 9 says... Actually, I think I skipped some. So let's go back to verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Very, very sad words. How it must have, how it must have grieved the heart of God. Verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in. They couldn't enter into the promised land, the place of rest. Because remember, that's what he says. They said they shall, he said, they shall not enter my rest. That's what the promised land was all about. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It's named right there. That's it. Unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua was Moses' protege, and Moses was the one who led the children of Israel in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. He was not, he died and wasn't able to go in, and that's another story, but Joshua was the one who actually led the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. And it says here that if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. He's saying, what is David talking about when he says today, if it's already been fulfilled? Verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. The people of God, the children of Israel, did not ever experience the rest of God, the rest that God intend for, intended for them, even when they entered into the promised land. Sue and I were just talking about this the other day because, look, mo the truth is most of the Old Testament is depressing. <laughs> because those stinking people are just like me. And they just could never get past their unbelief and rest. And so, verse 9 of chapter 4, the book of Hebrews says, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. There's still this place 
that God wants to take us to. He wants to take you there. Verse 10. For he who has entered his, God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. You see, when you, when you escape unbelief and trust God and enter into that place of rest, it's not as though, you know, it's not as though you're going to take a sabbatical for the rest of your life. You know, it's not as though you're going on vacation and you're not gonna, there's not going to be bills to pay and lawns to mow and kids to raise and jobs to do. But it's the trust factor. It's who do you trust. And if we trust in God, then wherever you are, whatever you're doing, can be this place where, where milk and honey flow this place of rest for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his verse 11 let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience let's make our way back through that passage just noting a couple of things before we leave here today. I've already said that the way of rest depends on trusting in the Lord. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? This is not a rhetorical question. I mean for you to answer it. Not out loud, but I mean for you to answer it right now. Who do you trust? Do you trust your parents? Some yes, some no. You trust your friends? You trust your kids? Definitely not. <laughs> Do you trust politicians? And we can all start laughing right now. <laughs> Who is it that you trust? I know. The answer to that question is you trust you. Am I right or am I right? But let me ask you this question. Who in all this world has failed you more than anyone else? Yes. That's right. You. So folks, if that's who we're trusting in, we're in... To use a Star Wars metaphor, we're in some deep poodoo. <laughs> Jesus is the only one we can trust. And he's the one who this passage says will never fail us. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus, or Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, Jesus Christ, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Now, remember... 
the writer of this book is writing to Jews. So he invokes the name of Moses because there's nobody they respect more than Moses in terms of human beings. And he says, this one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is faithful to his Father, as Moses was faithful, is so much so more faithful than Moses. It's as though you would compare the one who built the house to the house. God is worthy of our trust. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Trust the Lord. That's the starting point. That is baseline. That is, that is the, the place you begin to experience the place of rest that still remains for you and me. Trust in the Lord. We say it, <laughs> I trust in God. But when I was staring that doctor in the eye, I had to reconsider, do I really mean that? Otherwise, what is my eye doing this for? You know, we were never made. We, God did not put us together. He did not design us to carry the load of, of uh, stress and anxiety that we, we do. And that's why our bodies break down. And we weren't designed to carry this, but we, we do. And God today, today the psalmist said, don't harden your heart. Today there remains a, a place of rest for you. But it begins with trust, trusting the Lord. When my kids were growing up, and I, and I shouldn't blame this on them, it's common to most children, I think. It certainly was true for me. Uh, but I, you know, they were afraid of the dark. And, and one of the things that they were afraid of was that there was a monster in the closet. Anybody ever had that fear? Just me. Okay, you're all a bunch of liars. <laughs> And I would go in there because they, they, would, they would cry, Daddy! And I'd go in there and they'd say, somebody in my closet! <laughs> and I would, I would say, no, honey. There, there's, first of all, there's no such thing as monsters. Second of all, if there was, there's none in your closet. Let me show you. So I'd get her out of bed or him out of bed and we'd go over and turn the lights on and open the closet and we'd go through every single thing. And she'd be like, you know... And I'd say, see, honey, there's nothing here. There are no monsters in this closet. And then I said something I probably shouldn't have said, which is, <laughs> you know, but even if there were... <laughs> if, <laughs> if you have young ones at home, don't, don't say that. But, um, I said, but honey, even if there were... What are you going to do about it? They're still going to eat you. They might, might as well eat you having, you having had a decent night's sleep. Right? That's why I don't teach parenting. Not, not so good at it. But look, most of us in this room are afraid... Of a monster in the closet. And even if there is one, 
Jesus said, can you add one cubit to your height by worrying about it? Let's choose to trust him. Let's choose to trust him. What is that thing that just keeps you on edge? That you would fail? That you would lose your job? That you'd lose your health? That your marriage would fall apart? That you're, I don't know what it is that you lose your house. What is that thing that keeps driving you and pushing you? It, it isn't worth it. It isn't worth it. This passage says uh, in verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of disbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. And that's that reference again. Today, if you will hear his voice. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage, exhort one another, verse 13 says. The way of rest requires cooperation from others. We really need each other. This week, Sue and I, most of you would, would know that we spent um, the week in hell. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Phoenix is close to hell, you know. <laughs> Uh, we were there, and it was 110 when we left on fr- Friday. <laughs> it was a great... I, I should, see, there I go again. I should not have said that, because it was a great week. We were there for the, <laughs> for the International Convention, or the Foursquare Convention, the Convention of the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. And that wasn't hell, okay? Yeah. That was great. But I had uh, kind of secretly thought, well... Because we've, we've been doing quite a bit of travel. I, I told Sue this week, I said, Honey, I, I know I'm, I'm out of step with the Lord because I know at the first of the year, uh, he told me to, that I needed to take a vacation. And I, and I haven't done it. I, I could not, in my mind, justify it. Because I had these other, Sue was going to have surgery, which most of you know about. Then we had some other, we had a mission trip and some other things that was going to take me away. And I just, I couldn't figure out how I could get the time to do it. And so I just, you know, didn't. Most of you have probably heard me use this illustration before. But we used to have a car that where the gas uh, gauge either read full or empty, nothing in between. So it was always full until it wasn't. <laughs> Which is dangerous, you know. It's, it's a little bit of a struggle. Um, and, but the thing is, I always think I'm full. Yeah. Until I'm not. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was, I was going through a very stressful period in, in my life in ministry. And I... I booked a trip to, uh, I had to go for business to, to, well, you know, ministry business to Los Angeles. And I thought, well, while I'm there, I'll take a, a day or two extra and go and check up on our cabin down there in the, our family cabin. And just in case, unless you think that's something that would be, uh, look, something you'd look forward to, that, that cabin is, it's more of an outhouse, really. It's, it's very, it's, 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 it's not much. So anyway... I thought, well, I better go check it out while I'm there. So I had planned a couple extra days tagged on to the, the business that I, would, I didn't have anything planned for. I got on the plane, you know, southwest, 
Somebody dropped me off at the airport. You know, you kind of herded in with everybody, you know. And uh, found a seat, sat down, pulled out a book I'd planned to read, a, you know, a novel, Star Wars novel. <laughs> anyway, started, opened it up, and just, just like that, I mean, I was completely unprepared for what was, what was about to happen. I started sobbing. I mean, and it was, you know, I, my shirt was a mess. There's tears falling all over the place. My nose starts running. There's somebody sitting next to me. And I'm thinking, what are they thinking? Because this is nuts. Well, what happened was, I had gone as far as I could go, and God knew that. I thought I was full, but I wasn't. And that always happens to me. I'm always the last one to know. And so I'm away this week. I started to tell you this story. I'm away week at uh, convention. And I thought that I could, you know, maybe fulfill what God had told me about taking a vacation there. Uh, you know, kind of get in a little rest and relaxation. That was a mistake. But while I was there, uh, not only was my wife barking in my ear quite a bit, which she was great to do, um, but uh, Allison sent me an email. And it was very sweet and very profound, but it was the word of the Lord to me about needing to take a rest. Now, this is not about me. It's not about my need for a vacation or anything like that. I'm telling you this because you are like me. And most of the time, what we, what we do for vacation isn't. Because it's just a break from what we do. And yeah, you should take a break from what you do and all that kind of stuff. And, but what we need is what this thing says. What this Bible says. This is what we need. To trust in the Lord. And find that place of rest that comes only there as we trust in Him. And then do what Allison did. Do what Sue did. When we see the signs in one another where we've become anxious and frustrated and fearful and all of that, encourage one another. Because we need each other if we're, gonna, if we're going to stay in that place. We don't want to be like the children of Israel who went into the promised land and then didn't stay. You know, we often refer to the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. How many of you heard that story? Really? Just me? Mary and Martha. Bible, Luke 10? Okay, anyway. So we we talk about them because they they seem to be sort of polar opposites. You have, you know, one who's just sitting at the feet of Jesus and soaking him up, and the other who's busy serving everybody and angry that, you know, Mary is just sitting there at, at his feet and she wants her to help or serve people. Well, you know that passage begins by saying there was Martha and then there was Mary who also sat, also sat at Jesus' feet. It's a curious word, and most of the time we miss it. Both of them were at Jesus' feet. But then it goes on to say Mary was distracted. When we start to see one another become distracted, let's encourage one another. That's what it says there. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily. Brother, sister, 
I see it in your eyes. I see it in the pace of your life. I see it in the things that you're concerned about. Trust in the Lord. Finally, press in. You know, it says in um, verse 11 of chapter 4, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Diligent to enter that rest. It's not something, it's, it's, this is going to sound weird, but let's work to rest. Let's labor to rest. You're not going to just slide into it. It's something you're determined to do. To enter in to the rest of God. Let's press in to the rest of God. I'm about done, but I want to ask you, so don't panic now when I tell you this. I want to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I don't have time this morning to go into this in much depth, but I want to show this to you. Because a lot of times we talk about things like this and then we don't know, well, what's the, what do I practically need to do? I hear you, Pastor, but what do I do to press into this rest? And there are some verses here that help us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Did you hear that? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. To press into that place of rest means I keep continually laying at the feet of Jesus my cares and my concerns in prayer and in worship. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, that's not the only time, by the way, but when we gather together on Sunday mornings and Starlene or whoever is leading us in worship, part of what we're doing is coming to unburden our souls before God, to lay down before Him our cares and concerns. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 say, Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. And that's the reason you can do it, because He cares for you. You can trust Him with the things that you care about. So we come... And we lay at his feet the things that burden and, and uh, cause us to be uh, loaded with care. In verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. That's important to note because it's not a peace that can be understood. Look, if your bank account is full, your marriage is great, your health is, is perfect, well, and you're at peace... That's uh, understandable. You can draw a line from that, those things to your peace and kind of connect the dots. But this is a peace that passes understanding. This is the peace that you have when everything is falling down around you and nothing is going right. This is a peace that passes understanding. And that's the peace that endures. That's the peace that goes with you. That's the place of rest that God was calling us to. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts. The word is garrison. It will build a fortress around your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. So cast all your cares and concerns at the feet of Jesus. And then verse 9 tells us to change the diet of your soul. Earlier in the passages we read in Hebrews, it says, don't harden your heart. You know, if you eat fatty food, you eat high cholesterol food, what happens? 
Yeah, your arteries get hardened, causes you lots of trouble. If you feed on doubt, your heart will harden too. So, verse 8 says, change the diet of your soul. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What are you feeding your soul? This is not a holiness message, but I mean, what, what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you doing? You feed your soul on belief, your heart is going to harden. You'll find yourself outside of that rest of God. Change your, the diet of your soul. And then finally, verse 9 tells us, live what you know of God's will. And the peace of, excuse me, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. You hear that? The God of peace will be with you. These are four very practical things. The things that you learned. That means the things that you have learned by experience. If you've walked with the Lord more than one day, you have some experience in walking with the Lord and you've already learned some lessons about the will of God. Do those things. Live that way. The things you've learned, the things that you've received. If you've walked with Jesus for more than one day, you have heard his voice. He's been speaking to you. You have received some revelation from him. You've opened this book and you've read it and you say, wait a minute. That sounds like it's speaking to me. And yes, it was. Things that you have learned by experience, things that you've received by revelation, Things that you've heard, things that you've been taught, like I'm doing today, standing up here trying to communicate something out of the Word of God to you. And the things that you've seen, the things that you have watched Jesus do as you've read through the Gospels and you see His life play out, you have a a visible representation of what it means to live in the will of God. He says here, Verse 9, these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the peace of God will be with you.